live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Here's Carr back into the gun. In trouble. Didn't get hit from behind. Sack fumbled. Ball's loose. This is the press box. Derek, uh, the the, uh, the wide receivers didn't get a lot of get a lot of targets and catches today. Obviously, um, is this uh, what you say? What's that? Darren did though. Oh yeah, yes he did. Okay, we checked that box this week. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ed is gone. Ed is gone for like a week. He won't be back until a week from Monday. He's gone forever. So. We've got Q in today. If you listen to Raider Nation Radio, you know who Q is. By the way, Q, how many hours of radio are you doing today? I'm doing eight hours of radio today. This is full throttle, hair on fire, dip your head into a tank of gasoline. Let's go. Oh, boy. Why'd you do that to yourself? (laughs) Well, because I'm that guy that I enjoy doing this. (laughs) So when someone like Tyler comes to me and says, hey, you want to fill in for Ed? I say, yeah, sure. And then. All of a sudden, I find out, okay, hey, Q, I need you to fill in for me as well because I'm going to be out of town. All of a sudden, I look up, and, well, eight hours, eight hours of radio is, uh, is, is in my future. So here we go, man. This is what I do. So we can just uh, we can blame the Review Journal, right? They yes. took Ed and Vinny from you? Yes, and you know what's funny about this? And I love these guys. Don't get me wrong. I love these guys. But I've never understood why the newspaper guys take off on Friday or even Thursday for a game on Sunday. They got to enjoy the city. They got to get in the mood before they cover a football game. Okay. Well, now I know. (laughs) You got to write that line that's just like the lights in Dallas were twinkling. (laughs) That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Matter of fact, last time I I sat in with you guys, and I love sitting in on the show. It's a fantastic show. It was, wasn't it uh, the day before Thanksgiving? Yes, it was. See, and I made it to the game on time. (laughs) (laughs) You were pushing it. You were pushing it, weren't you, Q? No, uh, no. I got to. The, I was in the press box about two and a half hours before the game started on Thanksgiving. I made. I had plenty of time. Just saying. The first bite is the Raiders' play calling to blame for the offensive struggles. They play the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday, a 10 a.m. game, by the way, here in Las Vegas. But they play Kansas City. On Sunday, it is a big game as far as the Raiders' playoff hopes. Uh, But as we have seen, pretty much outside of the game against Dallas, the last five weeks, the Raiders' offense has struggled. They are struggling to break the 20-point barrier most weeks. So, Q, if we're looking at offensive play calling, if we're looking at the or execution of the offense, like where do you think some of the blame resides for the struggles the offense have had? Is it more about either the players executing or Derek Carr personally, or does Greg Olson need to be better as a play caller? Well, I think that Greg Olson needs to be better as a play caller. And of course, I think the execution needs to be better from the player standpoint. I mean, the coaches can only do so much, but you know, Washington football team, for example, gave up a bunch of big plays. That's what they're known for is giving up a bunch of big plays. And what did the Raiders do? They threw a lot of lateral passes, you know, and, and tried to get things going sideline to sideline and not taking shots into the end zone and really decided that they were going to play into Washington's defensive hand. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I, I know play calling is tough. I know it is. I mean, it's something that it's a it's a chess match. It's something that you really have to work on. And uh, there's guys that have, have been trying to master it for a very long time. Remember, John Gruden was the guy calling the plays the whole time that he had returned to the sidelines. Greg Olson was the offensive coordinator in theory, but, I mean, he wasn't calling plays. So 
he's still getting lathered up. And, and, and last Sunday against the Washington football team, the lather wasn't very much. So what I find fascinating about the Derek Carr side of this is the way he's talked after some of these losses. Mm -hmm. And, like, you can take one play, uh, one specific play, the one where he misses Deshaun Jackson early in the game against Washington. And Derek Carr's explanation was he he couldn't account for one of the defensive backs for Washington, so he didn't want to throw the ball to Deshaun Jackson and have it get picked off by a defender that he couldn't see. Right. That's obviously Derek Carr, you know, missed a guy pre-snap or couldn't tell where he went, whatever. Like, that's very clearly on Derek Carr. But that's just one individual play. And for the most part, one individual play is not really going to make you lose an entire game because you didn't see Deshaun Jackson 30 yards down the field. But what I think is more interesting is maybe the the bigger picture that we tend to get from Carr. Because he's done this a few times over the years where they lose a game he doesn't really throw the ball down the field. He gets asked about throwing the ball down the field and he tries to explain why. And his explanation almost always comes back to, well, they were playing two deep safeties, right? They were playing behind our receivers. They were trying to take away the deep ball. And Derek Carr is a very risk averse quarterback. He's a right. quarterback that he's not going to throw it into tight windows. He's not going to put in the ball at risk. That's Oftentimes a very good thing. You don't want interceptions and those types of throws can lead to interceptions. But what we've seen from the Raiders is they are much better when they throw the ball down the field. They are much better when Derek Carr takes those risks and Carr this week, when he was talking about this idea of, you know, being aggressive, pushing the ball down the field versus essentially taking what the defense gives you. He basically broke it down to, well, early in games, he's going to be more cautious Later in games, if they're losing, that's when he's going to start being aggressive because you got nothing to lose when you're down multiple scores in the second half or whatever it is. And that's what I find interesting because the Raiders this year, even early on when they were winning games, they were falling behind by multiple scores, like in yeah. the first quarter. And then Derek Carr and the offense explode in the second half. And I wonder how much of that was Derek Carr being like, oh, we'll all start taking shots now because we've got to score three or four touchdowns to come back and win. And so I'm, I'm fascinated that we've seen so many years of Carr where he's gotten this label of being a check down quarterback of being a non-aggressive quarterback, but yet we have so many examples of when he is aggressive, the offense is good. The offense can put up a lot of points. The offense can win games. And I find it fascinating that, I don't know, they haven't found the right balance of, Hey, we need to take shots early in the game. Even if they're playing two deep safeties, even if they're trying to take it away, we still need to try to push that early in the game. Without a doubt. They need to find a way to loosen up the defenses. You know, they need to take chances. They need to take risk. And at this point, what do they have to lose? You know, like you said, they're at their best when they are taking shots. And Derek Carr has the arm to get it done. And that whole mentality, which you rolled out there early in the games, kind of want to be a little bit more conservative. That's how you lose games. You've got to be aggressive. When they came out against the Cowboys aggressive, they scored on the first drive. Tyler, they've only scored on the first drive in the game three times so far this season. We're going into week 14. <laughs> I mean, that's a problem, you know, and, and, and to know that I know that stat on the top of my head is another problem. They haven't done it enough. And so, yeah, they have to come out. And Josh Jacobs even said it after the game, and I actually was pretty refreshed that he said that. He said, hey, I don't know what it is when we cruise into the game. We don't come out with, you know, with our hair on fire. We just kind of, you know, just, just like slide into the game and, and act like we've already been there, done that, and, and already won the game. That's not a, a – I don't know how a team that hasn't won anything in a very long time 
has the nerve to even do that, but that's what they're doing. Right. It's fascinating that you would have that type of attitude and Josh Jacobs to verbalize it and say, yeah, we're kind of just coasting going into the start of a game. And like you said, it's, it's not like this is, this isn't the Kansas city chiefs who right. won the Super Bowl recently. It's not like, Oh yeah, we can coast and turn it on later and figure it out. Like that's not who the Raiders are. They haven't done anything to sort of earn the idea that they can coast through any quarter of any game. I mean, in most of their wins, Right. They've won them by like one score. They've had a ton of close games that they've won to where it's like, yeah, if you guys coasted for one extra play in that game, you probably lose that game. So <laughs> they're, they're simply like, there's no margin for error for the Raiders. And if they come out in the first quarter again and they look flat, you probably look around saying, yeah, that this game's over. Like they just blew it in the first quarter because what, whether it's Cincinnati where they get the ball inside the 10 and can't score, or whether it's one of these other games where they just go three and out or get one first down and punt to start the game. That could be the difference in the game. Yeah, it really can be, and I'm glad you brought up that Cincinnati game. I mean, think <laughs> about that. They fumble. Uh, Cincinnati fumbles, and the Raiders get the ball to the nine-yard line and have to settle for three. They get the ball. The defense got them all the way to the nine, and they had to settle for three, and not one time did they throw the ball into the end zone. That's the biggest problem is when they get into the red zone, which is, of course, the Keeley's heel of this team, when they get to the red zone, they go sideline to sideline, and they think Josh Jacobs, they think uh, Kenyon Drake before he hurt, broke his ankle, they think they're going to make a guy miss, and then that's how they're going to get in the end zone. Hunter Renfro is going to catch a two-yard pass and wiggle his way to the end zone instead of just throwing the ball into the end zone. That's what it's there. I mean, just throw the ball in there. That's what you got to do, and they, they're not doing that enough. Do you think we'll see Rich Basaccia get more aggressive on fourth and shorts in the red zone? Because he so far has, has been like as conservative as possible right. as far as fourth down decision makings go. And obviously this team has struggled in the red zone and they've lost games a lot of the times because they kicked field goals instead of scored touchdowns. Do you think there comes a point where Rich Basaccia decides we're just, we got to start going for these because we've got to score touchdowns instead of field goals to win games and try to sneak into the playoffs? I would think that there has to be a point when he does that, but I don't think there will be. You know, just being 100% honest, keeping it real with you, I, I don't think that there will be because I think we would have seen it already. You know, I mean, they're all, they're, their backs are as against, against the wall as much as it could possibly be, and they still haven't decided to, hey, let's play with a little bit of desperation. Let's go out there and, and play like we have nothing to lose. You know, like everything is, is right there in, in front of the team. They just got to go out there and get it done, but it just seems like – it, it almost feels like they, they think they already earned a, a playoff spot or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's going back to, you know, playing down to the competition and cr cruising into games. And, well, what have you done to deserve that? I, I don't understand why they're not playing with a little bit of sense of urgency and a little bit of desperation. And fourth and three, and I asked Rich Basaccia after the Giants game. Or, yeah, after the Giants game, they, uh, they kicked a field goal. It was like fourth and three, and they kicked a field goal. And I said, well, was there any thoughts of just going for it? No. <laughs> Straight up, no. It's like, okay, well. There you go. Daniel Carlson is on the field before Derek Carr even – his pass is even incomplete. Right. I mean, <laughs> Daniel Carlson has won Special Teams Player of the Week for the AFC twice this year. He just got a four-year contract extension. He was five for five last week, and they scored 15 points. So the Raiders are going to go up 14-0 five minutes in this week, and it's going to be because Basaccia goes for it on fourth down <laughs> right. like three times in the opening quarter. That's right, and it's going to prove happen. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen – I don't think anybody knows anything about the Raiders this no, year. Like no. it's it, every single time you're like, yeah, this season's done. Oh, they've spanked the Cowboys. Oh, they might be back. Oh, here's like 14 points against Washington. Like they've been one of the most absurd NFL teams I think we've ever seen. 
I mean, they're just so up and down. It's just it's a roller coaster uh, ride on the field. It's a roller coaster ride off the field. It's just been a bizarre year for the team. Um, I, I don't know what they do, how they you know if they sneak into the playoffs. If the AFC wasn't such uh, you know a cluster and all just bunched up together, they would already probably be out of there. But since it's not, I mean, they're still hoping. And like you said, they go in there to Kansas City and pull off an upset and get a victory. All of a sudden, you'll have all the Raider Nation saying, "See, I knew there was a chance. Here they go." <laughs> And then, you know, and then who knows what happens. But, yeah, you can't get into the playoffs by winning a game, losing a game, winning a game, and losing a game. You just can't. All right. We've got a lot of stuff we're giving away on the show today. We've got more tickets to Disney on Ice with the Press Box Holiday Hookup Plus. You'll be in it to win a 55-inch smart TV. We've got our Dollar Loan Center uh, Friday Football Frenzy. I I think we're up to $400 again this week. Uh, I'll double check that where we're going to give you three NFL games. Uh, and we're also going to have the Porta Subs tailgate tray. All that coming up later in the show. Next, we got there's free tickets to UNLV basketball. There's no excuse for nobody to not show up to their game tomorrow. 3.4 to go. Rebels with the final chance. Pass up ahead to Baker. Baker front court. Baker gets pushed down. No call and a loose ball. No. Oh, my gosh. The Rebels have the game absolutely stolen from them. That was absolute larceny. Only thing that's on a mind, the Rebs gonna run this town tonight. Yes, sir. Rebs gonna run this town tonight. We gonna run this town. Rebs are, yeah, I said it, Rebs are. This is Rebel Nation, pledge your allegiance. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Jared, how old is that? Uh, this one's only from 2011. Okay. Because uh, only? I, I, that's a decade ago. I, right. I got one from 2005 if you want me to throw that yeah. one on. Later. Later. <laughs> yes. Right. These are these are some of our favorite things, Q, that we have found within the audio database here at Lotus is... Uh, <laughs> Somebody was busting out UNLV basketball parodies at a regular rate back in a decade ago. Wow. And it's glorious. So that is uh, very fun. We might need to bring that back. It's somebody that can do that because. We might not need to bring that back. We might not need to bring that back, brother. Come on. It's phenomenal. Come on. We can can put uh, Magnum on that. (laughs) Um, that sounds like that might have been a Magnum production. You know, that might have been something that he cooked up in the lab, and the lab was very small and and didn't have a whole lot going on there in that lab. Oh man! Shout out to Rihanna. I, was, I I heard the I heard the beat coming in, and I was thinking, oh, this is not bad. This is gonna be. And then all of a sudden, I realized what was going on, and I I, I lost my mind. Well, Rihanna would have wanted it that way. She knows her song has been improved. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Riri. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, so UNLV, they play Hartford <laughs> on Saturday. It is at Mandalay Bay again. They just played there on Wednesday against Seattle. They had 673 people. That was the announced attendance. 673. They did I not like how you said announced attendance. Announced, yes, because I'm not convinced there were 673 fans there. But the announced attendance was 673. Um. UNLV yesterday announced, because they're playing again, same arena, they announced yesterday free tickets, 2,500 free tickets. Uh, All you had to do was go online to the website, uh, AXS.com, find the UNLV game, and if you use the promo code GORebels, you got free tickets. They, I went on there this morning. They say no more available, so I'm under the assumption they 
sold. Well, it's not selling out if they're free, but they right. gave away all 2,500 of the free tickets that they were willing to give away. Now, here's my question to you, Q. Do you think $29 is expensive for a UNLV basketball game? Because that was the get-in price for the game on Wednesday night. No, I don't think $29 is expensive at all. No, I, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I know it's a UNLV game, but I wouldn't mind paying $29 to go to a game. But apparently, uh, a lot of people are not paying $29 <laughs> to go to a game. <laughs> so, 673 was the number on Wednesday. They give away 2,500 free mm. tickets. Do you think there will be 2,500 people that are actually at the game on Saturday? No, no chance. No chance. I, I really don't. And, and that's a shame. Uh, I hate that for them. Obviously, uh, you know, Coach Kruger is trying to put a, a, a product out there that uh, people could be proud of. And, and, you know, they've had ups and downs, obviously, this season so far. They've won the games they're supposed to win. And, you know, they lost the games that we all expected them to lose. But, man, you just, you'd love to see some support there. But, I mean, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's tough to do. And there's just nobody there. That, that, I mean, I remember seeing a picture that you tweeted out the other night, and there was nobody there. So what I find interesting, I, I find the free ticket promotion here very fascinating because I personally, I don't think the ticket prices have a significant impact on how many people show up to watch UNLV play, right? right? Like you can go, their next game at Thomas and Mac uh, is next Wednesday. You can buy a ticket for $16 right now. Now you're in the upper bowl. You can buy a ticket for $33, I think is the cheapest price to get in the lower bowl. I don't think that's the problem. Like, no. I don't think there's some issue of, oh, UNLV's charging too much. I don't even think, I don't think $29 nope. is really too much to go to a game at Mandalay Bay, even if it's against a Seattle or a Hartford, right? Like, I don't think the issue is ticket prices. I don't think the issue is anything that UNLV can do better to market itself. I, to me, the only issue is that the team's not good and the team hasn't been any any bit relevant for eight years. So I'm fascinated to see. They say, hey, we're giving away 2,500 free tickets. I'm fascinated to see, will 2,500 people actually show up when they gave the tickets away for free? Or are we looking at a game that has 1,000, 1,200 people in there to where, hey, free tickets, and they still couldn't get all those people to show up? Uh, that's exactly what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to look at 1,000, 1,200, maybe 1,500 max. I mean, I just, I just don't see it because, well, one, the, the team that's coming in isn't, you know, isn't one that's going to drive the, and push the needle. You know what I mean? And then, like you said, UNLV just hasn't been good for so long. And, and again, that's how unfortunate is that? When they're a, a school that well, I grew up, you know, I'm, I knew them as, hey, that's a big-time basketball school, big-time program. They have an opportunity to go win a championship. It hasn't been that in a very long time. All right, so one of the interesting things about sports attendance in this town, uh, obviously the Raiders have a lot of people that come from out of town into Vegas and go to Allegiant Stadium. The Golden Knights do as well, right? There's, mm -hmm. you know, there'll be some Tuesday night games against Ottawa where there's nobody from Ottawa in attendance, but right. they often have a pretty large away crowd, at least pre-pandemic. They certainly did. If the A's end up moving here, they'll probably <laughs> be counting on uh, attendance from out of towners to come to that ballpark on a regular basis. I'm sure Major League Soccer, if they end up coming mm -hmm. here, that they're going to be in the same boat. UNLV basketball doesn't get anyone like that like right, tourism right. wise there's no like people fly in to either go to a UNLV game or even just people that are here say hey what's going on oh a UNLV game let's go to that and I find that interesting like is it is college basketball so far down on the national like level of importance that people that come in just would have no interest in a UNLV San Diego State game but they would be interested in you know 
Golden Knights Rangers or whatever team they're playing? Like, is it is college basketball yeah. so far down that it's just zero interest to tourists? I mean, yeah, unless it's Blue Bloods playing, you know. I mean, that's just that's just what it is. Unless it's the ones that are the powerhouses. Unless you have Duke in town. Unless you have Michigan in town. Unless you have UCLA in town, and that's all. Dukies, UCLA Bruin fans, you know, that's that's the uh, Michigan fans that are going to show up. I mean, that's just what it is, especially college basketball right now while football's still going on. You know, I mean, football's going to supersede that. And then you got the Golden Knights, and, of course, they're going to be uh, a main attraction here. But also, as I'm learning, as I've only been here since July, what I'm learning is if the product's not a winning product, someone's going to find something else to do. I mean, that's just there's too much to do to go to see something that's not a winning product. The Raiders are learning that fast and furious this year. <laughs> so if so, basically when we look at our sports here, like I Allegiant stadium and the Raiders are probably always going to have good attendance simply because of the tourism factor. Right. And it's, you know, it's football. It's the easy, it's once a week on the weekends. It's, you know, the easiest sport mm-hmm. to sort of follow your team on the road. So they're, they're pretty much always going to have good attendance. It might not be good for Mark Davis and the Raiders when, oh, wow, we're a two-win team and they took over our entire stadium, not just half of it. But even if the Raiders are bad, they should still have good attendance. The Golden Knights will be interesting because they've never been bad, and I'm curious what happens if, you know, at some point in the future they're going to be bad. They're not going to make the playoffs every year. I'm curious to see what happens there, but I do still think attendance will be, you know, relatively fine. I mean, there's been, there's been, you know, right. some, a lot of patches of, of yeah. empty seats lately though. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, but for UNLV, it's the one team that has some significance in this market that doesn't draw that tourism right. uh, attraction. And it's, it's just interesting to see where every other team in the city can probably survive attendance wise. Like it's not ever really going to be truly empty at a golden Knights game right. because of tourism, but UNLV. So what, what that means for UNLV is they have to get the locals in, right? The other, mm-hmm. the other teams here don't necessarily have to, they want to, they absolutely want the home crowd advantage, mm-hmm. but they don't have to UNLV does. And the only way that happens is if the team's good, like that's the right. only way that UNLV gets fans back in the arena and it has to be locals and the team has to be good because it's just, you're not going to draw that tourism in that actually helps the arena fill up like the golden Knights or the Raiders or any other pro team that ends up coming here. Coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show from pro football focus. We got to do whatever we got to do to win the game. These guys are very accountable. The work ethic of our football team, the whole space is very high. Uh, they're very accountable. Uh, we know what people think of us. We love that. Uh, we're comfortable who we are, where we are. Uh, but I'm excited about what's in front of us because, you know, we, we, you know we're, we're going to win this game. Um, I'm confident in that. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Uh, ben, are the Vikings a fun or a terrible team to in-game bet on? Uh, they are uh, kind of a fun team to bet on, I would say, just with the swings that they provide uh, from both sides if they ever give it up. I do think they are a decent you know, team to target just based on the fact that they uh, refuse to try uh, and close out teams for whatever reason it kind of seems like, and they always seem to at least have some scrappy capability to get back in it. So I, I kind of enjoy it. I Thankfully, I was on the right side uh, pregame on the minus three, so I didn't really have to do a whole lot of in-game work just trying to – you know, hit a few middles and stuff like that. But overall, they are uh, an entertaining, excruciatingly uh, enjoyable <laughs> team to watch, I would say. So. With that being said, how, how painful is it to bet with the Steelers? Because you never know what Pittsburgh team's going to show up. I mean, they, they spot Minnesota 29 points, and then they decide to come roaring back. Right, definitely. I mean, yeah, thankfully I was on the right side this week. I was on 
uh, the Ravens side last week uh, when the Steelers <laughs> ended up pulling out the upset there. So they are, you know, kind of a difficult team to project. Obviously, you know, Ben Roethlisberger hasn't shown uh, much ability so far in 2021. I don't think that is, you know, at all going to show up for him. But it's really been the defense that has been kind of a struggle, right? Of course, you think, you know, Steelers defense, Steel Curtain, maybe not necessarily all the way there. Um, but you'd think that that front seven would at least be playing a lot better than what they have. Maybe T.J. Watt. You know, injury yesterday kind of played into the fact that they were uh, kind of getting gashed on the ground and a little bit through the air. Um, but yeah, they just you know, the, the the defense is the spot that I'm really having a tough time projecting here going forward for the Steelers. So, what are you doing? You mentioned Baltimore. What are you doing with the Ravens? They're they're underdogs on the road in Cleveland. They seem to play every game has been close. They needed a longest field goal in NFL history to beat the Lions. Like, <laughs> what are you doing with that team? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're really they're really banged up, right? They're really tough to you know trust on any given week, just with the fact that uh, they continue to have really serious injuries to key positions. Now, Marlon Humphrey out for the season, so I think they're unfortunately you know a spot to fade. I do um, you know agree with the line movement. I think they kind of opened up uh, maybe right around one point favorites. I'm seeing it all the way out to minus three now in Cleveland's direction. I do think that is uh, probably the correct play. I would lean toward the under even at 42 and a half points. I know that's a really low total, but um, I just don't see too much offensive production coming from the Baltimore Ravens, given the fact that, you know, the Browns, I do think, are going to have quite a bit of pass rush success uh, pressuring the quarterback. So as long as, you know, they stay, um, you know, disciplined in their pass rush lanes, I think they're going to be able to contain Lamar Jackson enough to probably make this game go under and also cover the three-point spread. Ben, this season has just been up and down throughout the whole, you know, all the NFL really, but the AFC in general and, and the Bengals are one team. Starts out hot. They look really good. They'll be really high for a second. Then they'll have a terrible loss like they had last week against the Chargers. They're going up against the 49ers. Uh, San Francisco, the, a, a point and a half favorites. I mean, what, what are you thinking in this one? Yeah, definitely. I kind of lean a little bit in the 49ers' direction here. Um, uh, the spread's kind of moved in their in their direction as well, and I think the Bengals, you know, looking at their schedule, I think they have the easiest strength of schedule heading into this matchup. They have the fourth most difficult matchup, or the fourth most difficult schedule heading, you know, uh, coming up here with the 49ers game included. So they haven't really beaten uh, too many quality teams. I would still like them to, you know, beat a team that they're probably not expected to. If they can do that against the 49ers this weekend, maybe they're, uh, you know, a little bit better than what I project. But right now I do think they are a little bit overrated in the betting market. So I'm definitely on uh, the 49ers side here in week 14. All right, let's go with our hometown Raiders here. Um, are they a team like you're looking to fade or are they a team that you're looking to catch one of their random hot weeks? Like <laughs> how the hell do you approach a team like the Raiders who have looked so good at times, but also so hor- horrible at times? Yeah, definitely. I am. Well, for this week, I can tell you, I'm going to try and catch one of their hot weeks. I do think mm. uh, not necessarily so much that they played so well in Kansas city last, last year and pulled off that upset. Um, but I do, th- I do think that they are probably a little bit underrated in the betting market right now. You know, spreads out to uh, minus ten in a lot of spots. I think that's, I think that's a little bit too high. Um, I hope that the Raiders kind of try to maintain their aggressive ways against the Chiefs. They didn't really do that all that well this season. But again, last year they were, you know, had one of the most successful games in the NFL season last year and upsetting the Chiefs. So I think if they can do that and they don't try and focus on, you know, this whole bit about establishing the run, trying to get, you know, Josh Jacobs involved. <laughs> Uh, I think they could be a little bit more successful and at least cover the spread. Uh, but but the offensive line just isn't there for them to kind of dominate in the trenches, even against a Chiefs team that hasn't necessarily been all that great. Uh, their run-blocking unit 
the worst run blocking unit in the NFL according to PFF grade. So if they're establishing the run out here on Sunday, I think it's going to be <laughs> a disaster for Raiders backers. I'm hoping they let it air it out a little bit, but uh, there could be you know some potential weather implications. I am seeing you know close to 15 mile per hour winds potentially happening in Kansas City. You know if that plays out. Uh, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, so maybe the total is uh, the correct play here on Sunday. Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy said that they're going to win the game. You know, I, I could appreciate him going out there and, and saying what he had to say uh, about the Cowboys over the Washington football team. Um, the, the Washington football team is on a four-game winning streak. The Cowboys, they have a lot of firepower. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts just on this game in general, and, and w- where would you lean here? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm leaning with Washington, right? That's a little bit against where the spread has kind of moved toward. Uh, but like you said, they have been hot four-game winning streak. Taylor Heineke has played way above expectations so far. I do think he can probably uh, keep that going. I do think, you know, a guy like Terry McLaren could be in line for a really big game here. Uh, of course, they lost Logan Thomas last week due to injury for the rest of the season. So one less piece in that passing game offense. But um, I still think McLaren's going to have a big play here uh, to potentially swing the favor, at least in Washington's direction. I don't know if they're necessarily going to win outright, uh, but I do think that this will probably come down uh, to a field goal kick, uh, and I think that's kind of the direction that I'm leaning. So I do project less points uh, than what the market is kind of seeing right now at that 48, 47.5-point total. So we'll see if Washington's defense continues to kind of perform uh, pretty well here, especially over the last four games, and kind of keep this one close uh, enough for Taylor Heineke to potentially win it here at the end. But that's, that's kind of how I see this you know, uh, NFC matchup playing out. Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus with us. Uh, ben, you wrote about daily fantasy options this morning. And I'm just curious in general this week, given the amount of injuries of guys that are already ruled out, but also there's a lot of running backs who are questionable and missing practice or limited in practice. Like, where are you at on running backs this week in just terms of who's actually going to be available and which, like, backups to target? Yeah, definitely. I do think I do think a guy like Austin Eckler, um, you know, of course, is a really good option here. Uh, if you're looking a little bit lower tier, uh, at some at some point we're going to see Chuba Hubbard. I think he's going to get a ton of volume, obviously, with you know Joe Brady uh, kind of getting moved on from in that Carolina Panthers offense coordinator position. So Chuba Hubbard kind of interests me as well. He's a guy that could be um, you know heavily involved in that offense. And then you know like Jeremy McNichols, he can kind of do both things for those Titans that Titans offense. I think if they're you know ahead, which is what you know spread indicates. He's a guy that I think is a little bit lower tier that uh, is definitely an intriguing option from both a fantasy uh, and DFS perspective here on Sunday. So you're staying away from like the Seattle backfield and the Buffalo backfield. Those don't <laughs> I'm intrigue <staying> you. A- <laughs> I'm avoiding them. I thankfully uh, I've avoided Abdullah. the Seattle backfield all season. So uh, not, I can't say the same thing for the Buffalo backfield. I was a Zach Moss uh, truther, I guess, here early on in the season, and that has uh, definitely come back to bite me for sure. So I'm uh, avoiding those two, thankfully, here going forward. So Don't worry. Zach Moss will still have like a 16-carry game for 107 yards and two touchdowns at some point right. before the season ends, and then be a healthy scratch as well. Both of those are happening before the season ends again. Um, right, right. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Yep, thank you, guys. Have a great show. So. Thanks to uh, Ben Brown for joining us. Q, do you play fantasy football? No, man. I'm not a no. fantasy guy at all, man. Fantasy football is for fantasy fans, but I know it's big. 
I know it is. I just, I just look, man. I just got too much going on in the bag to uh, to spend the time. I, I one time, I promise you, one time at my old radio station in Texas, ESPN Central Texas, uh, we they we they forced us basically to to have a fantasy team. <laughs> so I just let it be known. You know, when you do something, you just try to let everyone know, like, yes, I'm doing it, but I don't want anything to do with it. I had some really good players. Uh, you know, I had some really, really good players actually on my team that auto picked for me and. I didn't want anything to do with this, so I said, "Look, just trade me, just trade me all all the players. Just give me like I had Jamal uh, Charles, and I traded him for some Raider that never ever hit the field. But I just did it just because I was trying to show that I had want nothing to do with this. So no, I don't do fantasy football oh. at all. I uh, see. It would have been better had you let, like you just literally let your team sit. However, it got auto drafted. That was your lineup even during bye weeks." Yeah, it was it was it was bad, man. And, and so they knew then that okay, we're not going to force this guy to play it because he he doesn't care about fantasy football at all. But I you're not I love, respecting the game. I love the fact no, but I love the fact that it has brought in so many people into the into football in general. You know, what I mean, I love that that people pay attention to it for fantasy more than even just loving the game. But hey, whatever gets eyes on it, the NFL don't care. Yes, I was listen. <laughs> I was very excited last night when KJ Osborne caught a 60 something yard touchdown pass. And I was very angry every time the Vikings kicked a field goal, all because of fantasy football. I would have had no emotional investment in last night's game. It would have just been like, yeah, whatever. But I was very invested and yelling at Kirk Cousins for throwing behind KJ Osborne because of fantasy football. It's it's wonderful. You get to get very angry at random things you never would have gotten angry about. There you go. Like, I need anything else to get angry about. (laughs) You know where I work at? I got plenty to get angry about. (laughs) All right. Here we go. We have $400. Thanks to Dollar Loan Center. It's Friday Football Frenzy. $400 on the line this week. We're going to give you three... NFL games. You just have to pick the winners of those three games. No point spread involved. Just pick the three winners of the games we give you, and you will take home 400 bucks thanks to Dollar Loan Center. We'll take caller number one right now at 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. Your chance to win 400 bucks. We're not whooping enough tail, you know. We're not striking enough. We're not making the power fall the right direction enough, and so I'd be remiss um, I'd be doing that group a disservice if I didn't uh, look at all options. We will not be bashful about turning the stones over. <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. I needed to hear that this morning. Did you? I, I did. I, I just I get I get excited when I hear Mike Tomlin put it all out there and keep it real, you know, and and say that we will not be bashful turn over stones i mean that that means that they want to look for solutions i don't know if they're going to find them but at least they are going and putting the effort out there i can appreciate that all right it is friday football frenzy thanks to dollar loan center and today we have four hundred dollars on the line matt is our contestant today so matt we got three games for you if you correctly get all three winners again no point spreads just the winners you will win 400 bucks. Your first game, Matt, is Ravens at Browns. Oh, let's go Browns there. All right. Ooh. Second game, Seahawks at Titans. Definitely Seattle. I, I said Titans. I meant Texans. Seahawks at Texans, but I assume you're still taking Seattle. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, the last game for you is Bills at Buccaneers. We'll go Bucks there. All right. So, Cleveland, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. If those three teams win, 
you will be taking home $400. Good luck, Matt. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. So there is a Dollar Loan Center Friday football frenzy. Uh, Matt has his three picks in. Uh, so Dollar He didn't Loan even hesitate, Tyler. He didn't even hesitate. He just, hey, man, he's like, boom, Cleveland, definitely Seattle. It's going down. I mean, he's boom, 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 bada bing, bada boom. I love it. Tampa Bay, I got him. So we're into week 14. <laughs> We've only had two winners, uh, and we have had four people go 0 for 3. Mm. So... <laughs> Including last week, oh, Brandon God. managed to go over three last week. So, uh, yeah, the the odds are against Matt, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. But he might pull this off. I feel good. I think Matt's got it, man. Right. I like again the confidence. Is what's important there? He yeah. was confident. Did, did have we explained to Q when we used to have to find a sharp? Yeah, we have. Okay, yeah. and I had to give away a Brock Osweiler jersey. Yeah. Brock Osweiler. Who doesn't want to give away a Brock Osweiler jersey? It's the best. And the winner actually said, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I'm about to say, who wants to receive a Brock Osweiler jersey? That would be the bigger question. All right. So Thursday Night Football last night, the Vikings held on to beat the Steelers 36-28. to uh, The Vikings had a 29 nothing lead in the third <laughs> quarter of that game. Um, amazingly, Minnesota has now played 12 games decided by one possession. The NFL wow. record is 14 but the Vikings simply always play one possession games. Even when they get up 29 to nothing, they still find a way to make it a one possession game. But I'm more curious about the Steelers because I saw this a little bit on Twitter last night. I don't know how serious it ends up actually being here, but do you believe that Mike Tomlin should at all be on the hot seat right now? No, no, not no. at all. Um, I wish he was. I really do. But I, I do. And, and not because I ever want to see anyone get fired because I mean, you know, it's only 32 of the jobs, but uh, I think that there would be – I would love to see how many teams would be knocking on his door to get him in their organization if he was available. I just don't see him at all being available. So, uh, no, I, I don't think that he deserves to be on the hot seat, and I don't think he's going to be on the hot seat. He has not had a losing season since being the head coach of the Steelers, um, although it looks like this year they're going to miss the playoffs for the third time in four years. They're still 6-6-1. Six, six, and one. Like It's not like they're a two-win team that's out of it. They're kind of in the same position as the Raiders where it's unlikely, but if they go on a run, they're in the playoffs. Um, I do think it's interesting. He has not won a playoff game since 2016. Like They've been, since they, they lost that Super Bowl to uh, the Packers, and since then, they haven't really had a lot of success even when they've gotten to the playoffs. They've been a lot of sort of first-game exits right. for Pittsburgh. But what I think is more interesting for the Steelers is less about Mike Tomlin and more about the quarterback position because Roethlisberger was pretty bad last year. He's been dreadful this season. There was that report before last week's game that he was going to retire at the end of the season. He kind of tried to push Roethlisberger trying to try to push back on that. But I'm fascinated. Like what do the Steelers do with that position? Assuming Roethlisberger retires because Russell Wilson could be on the move. Aaron Rodgers could be on the move. Deshaun Watson might be available. Like they could make a run at one of these big name quarterbacks or they could go with the rookie and try to put a rookie in and do kind of what the Patriots are doing this year. Try to build a good team around it and just, Hey, manage it here. Or there could be a scenario where they go get the Ryan Fitzpatrick of the world or like the Marcus Mariota. It's like, yeah, that guy's a starter. You're not really going to win a whole lot with him, but he's a starter and he can get you by for a year or two. If you need to, like I'm fascinated what Mike Tomlin and the Steelers look like 
with a quarterback that's not named Ben Roethlisberger. Fitzpatrick's going to be playing for the Raiders. Yeah, okay. Year. So Derek Carr. <laughs> Derek Carr to the Steelers. I think that they dip into the draft and try to get a rookie. I really do. Big Ben has been there since he was a rookie. You know what I mean? I just I think that's what they're going to try to do, and uh, I think that they'll have confidence in Mike Tomlin to let them roll uh, that way, you know, let him roll that way just because of the success he's had. Like you said, not a lot of playoff success since 2016, but still, I mean, there's a lot of teams in the league that would love to not have a winning or not have a losing yes. record. <laughs> Trust me, there's a lot of teams. <laughs> so uh, the draft will be interesting what because the, the Steelers <laughs> are, again, they've already got six wins. They're not going to be drafting like in the top five, right? But the draft this year is going to be interesting because the quarterback class at least looks at the moment weak. Like right. there's not really a clear runaway favorite number one quarterback. Most likely a quarterback's not going number one overall. Like even if the Steelers, if they end up picking, you know, 10th or 11th or something like that, instead of in the top five, there's still a chance that the number one or two quarterback in the draft falls that low, given how little people think of this draft class. But then that's not really the best time to be drafting a quarterback if you're a team like the Steelers and you need one, right? Like if you want a quarterback, you want right. to be drafting in a good quarterback draft class. So I'll be interested to see sort of how that plays out because you might not have to trade up to get one. You might be able to get one sort of middle of the first round, but that might not be a good quarterback, right? Like you might be talking about a rookie that comes in and isn't any good. Also at the same time, what are we, are we wrong or right more often about rookie quarterbacks? Well, more, more often we're right, you know, that they're not really the, you know, they're not the guy that to take over right away. And, uh, you know, there's always a question mark, but I think that they got to target Kenny Pickett. I think there's no doubt about it. He's a Pitt, Pittsburgh guy. I think you just target him and, and, and that's how you roll. That's, that's, that's who I think the Steelers are going to be looking at in the draft. Do you want a quarterback named Pickett? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Bucks are running out of kicker named Suckup. I mean, there it is, you know, and I can see Pickett being the guy, though, in Pittsburgh for so many different reasons. I, I like what he can do. Uh, now he has a, a, a rule named after him. The, the That's the, right. Oh, know? that's right. The NCAA came out today and said the fake slide is illegal, that the ref's got to blow it dead as soon as you fake it. Oh, Kenny Pickett. It's got to be called the Pickett rule, right? That's Absolutely. what we're changing it to.